0: I would say absolutely not.
1: Hell and no. Uh huh. We're back. You thought we went away forever, but we're back. This is Writing in Real Life, your favorite podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I'm Barry. Sitting across from me is Morgan. How you doing, babe?
0: I'm good. It's it's really good to be back.
1: It is. It is. We we thought we were going to be taking a slight break because I was traveling a lot. Yeah. In October, and it he turns out, me, basically, I really did completely. It turned out I was gone basically most of October, yeah, and pretty much every time we would have recorded, yeah. Um,
0: and then the one weekend we were away,
1: and then there was one weekend, yeah, yeah where we were away. So but here we are. Here we are. We're back. We will try not to abandon you for quite so long again. <laughs> A lot has happened.
0: A lot has happened. A lot has happened. Yeah,
1: Um, and uh, I'm not even sure where to start. But let's just well,
0: you're in charge, so yeah. Let's just dive
1: right in. You know, we're going to sort of go in reverse order. I guess I want to start off by talking about something that just happened. Okay, as opposed to to going back and catching up, Uh, and that is that on Friday, October 28th, I discovered that my graphic novel manga man which I wrote and which was drawn in all excellence by Colleen Doran. Colleen Doran
0: of the uh, Tori Amos fame. Of
1: Tori Amos. Uh I'm sure she's pleased to know that's her claim to fame. She was one
0: of the illustrators of Comic Book Tattoo.
1: Um, That book was challenged in a Washington State high school library for, and I quote, sex and nudity, unquote.
0: Ironically.
1: Now, what's hilarious about this is, There is no sex or nudity in that book. (laughs) I'm pretty sure because I wrote it and I watched Colleen draw it. Um, There is a moment where two teen characters are making out and they start taking each other's clothes off. Uh, The boy is entirely naked, but since he is a manga character... Where his genitalia would be, there's instead just a pixelated blur, (laughs) uh, which is a joke that Japanese comic book fans will get because in Japan it's illegal to portray nudity in certain circumstances.
0: So this parent was complaining about a strong implication of nudity. This
1: parent was complaining that there was a character with a blur in his crotch. Like, literally, there's nothing there to see. Uh And the kids don't have sex. So he's... Like there's no genitals on display and they decide not to have sex. So it really, if anything, this parent should be glad that we're showing an example of how kids can go, wait, you know what? I'm not ready for this yet. Right. (laughs) And yet this mother decided that her 14 year old son should not be allowed to see this. Um, I told my editor about this and her response was, I wish this woman could see what her kid is looking at every day on the internet, (sighs) Uh which is true.
0: But walk me through how, so in a case like this, how does an author find out that a book has been banned?
1: You know, I mean, I, well, it, banned is is the wrong word. Sure, because it's challenged. Okay, uh, challenge is just when some someone says, idiot says "Get rid of this book because it offends my delicate sensibilities." Banned is when they succeed in getting the right. book gotten okay. rid of. Um, I've had this happen a few times with a few books. It's happened with I Hunt Killers and it's happened with Boy Toy. I honestly, I, this is like the one book I never thought this would happen <laughs> with. Like, it's such an innocent book. Uh, there's literally nothing in this book that you could not show on network television in prime time.
0: Yeah. Nothing. On thing. CBS, no less. On CBS, no <laughs> less, yeah.
1: So, you know, it, it depends on the circumstances and the situation as far as how the author finds out. In this case, I found out because Colleen uh, tweeted it with a link to a local news story, uh, video of the local news covering this. And that was interesting. Uh, in other cases I've gotten an email from a teacher or a librarian saying, Hey, just so you know, this book's being challenged. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions Mm -hmm. or anything like that? Usually what I do is I refer them to the American library association's office of intellectual freedom, Mm -hmm. which deals with this sort of thing and offers support. Um, I always tell them, look, I can be as loud or as quiet as you want about this. Right. Uh because in one in one instance, when this the first time this happened with Boy Toy, the teacher got in touch with me and said, Look, uh, you know, I'm not supposed to be getting in touch with you. The principal uh, is talking to the parents and is trying to handle this quietly and without anybody being embarrassed and if you make a big scene, then This that's could the, all blow up. This could yeah. all blow up. But I thought you should know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, All right, I said, Look, you know, that's fine. If it gets banned, then I'm going to make a sting. Right. But while they're talking, I, you know, that's fine. I won't say anything. And I didn't. And it turns out the principal was good at his or her job because the book stayed. So do you have we any,
0: we do, we're just coming off the heels of Ben books week. Yeah. Um, which I believe is the end of September or the beginning of October. Which I
1: wish this had happened during banned books week.
0: Yeah. Bad timing. Yeah. Bad timing lady in Washington state. But, um, I don't remember ever as a kid or as a high school student having any information about banned books. Like, I don't remember anyone in my community trying to challenge a book that was in our school library or that we were reading in class or anything like that. Do do you have any memories?
1: No, I don't. I don't. I don't at all. Um, It never really occurred to me until much later. Um, And in fact, the, the school district where I grew up became somewhat famous for a little while for banning... Carolyn Mackler's The Earth, My Butt, and other big round really? things. And that's how I met Carolyn was I walked up to her. Shortly after that happened, I walked up to her at a library conference and said, Hi, I'm Barry Liga. I grew up in Carroll County. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, and we're friends to this day. So that worked out. But no, I, I don't remember that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's because where I grew up, they just didn't put those books out in the first place. But I don't remember ever having trouble yeah. reading any sort of book that I wanted to read. And believe
0: me, I was reading V.C. Andrews at, like, age nine, so...
1: Yeah, and watching Children of the Corn, like, well, in utero. Well, at age seven, yeah. It's funny, you know, I I knew a librarian a long time ago who once told me, who handled the teen section, Yeah. who once said that, that she had a strategy for this sort of thing, Ooh. and that was she always made sure there were plenty of Christian fiction books on the shelves. Okay. And that that way, if anybody complained, her response was, well, then... Don't let your kid read those books. Here Come are these here. books that yeah. are perfectly acceptable to you. You know, this library is for everybody. And said that she never got any huh. any complaints. And I thought, well, that's sort of interesting. Um, th- th- that's an interesting way to, to deal with it. And, and maybe, you know, maybe people are, are, are were more reasonable at that time, <laughs> which seems weird to say. But no, I never heard about that un- until much later yeah. in life. I never heard about that sort of thing. Okay. It was always the sort of thing that you would hear about that everybody would just sort of commonly agree. Well, that's crazy. hmm You know? Yeah. I,
0: so what now with Manga man?
1: Well, um, you know, I, I tweeted about it. Colleen tweeted about it. We were both having a good time with it because it's just... It's hilarious. I mean, to complain about nudity and sex when there's literally, I I can't even speak. It's just ridiculous. So we were having a good time talking about it. And I made a joke that uh, I felt the need to perhaps donate some books to that library. (laughs) And somebody chimed in and said, I bet bet they could use several copies of Boy Toy. (laughs) Um, And uh, I don't know if it's coincidence or not. But right when I said that, a teacher from that school tweeted at me and said, hey, I'm a teacher there. Just so you know, the book wasn't banned Um, our librarian, you know, stood her ground and the book is still on the shelf. Okay. And I was like, okay, great. That's good to know. And apparently now, um, there are so many requests for the book from the students that they're considering buying more copies. (laughs) (laughs) That's the dream. <laughs> that's the dream, yeah. It's one of the few times that's actually worked out that way for me. Um, but uh, Colleen pointed out that those kids will be incredibly disappointed uh, right, that there is yeah. no sex or nudity <laughs> in that book. And, in fact, uh, there may be protests after that where <laughs> kids are complaining that there there wasn't any sex or nudity. So all's well that ends well as far as that goes. So right. the, the the good guys won, which is always nice. And we can laugh about this one because it was so silly and it was immediately taken care of, Uh, you know, in other situations. Right. I I, I could not laugh about it. Yeah. But this was just really, really funny. Yeah. Um, So something else I want to talk about. Last time we had a podcast, I had just started reading Bruce Springsteen's autobiography, Born Uh to Run. I have since finished it. Mm -hmm. It's a long book, but (laughs) it didn't take me this whole time to finish it. But I finished it man, that book, like, really affected me.
0: Well, I want to say, too, for the listeners out there, I I mean, you were, like, carrying that book around in your pocket, basically.
1: Uh, My pockets aren't that big, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But,
0: like, everywhere you were in the house, the book was either with you or in your hands or right next to you. Yeah. And, yeah, you were really into it, which i like to see. I feel like you haven't. I don't know. I feel like you haven't been addicted to a book in a while. So
1: it it has been a while since I've been really, really addicted to a book. And of course this one was like built for me. I mean, and, but it was interesting because I I guess I didn't really think about it before I started to read it. Um, I sat down to read it thinking, oh, it's Bruce Springsteen. I worship Bruce Springsteen. I'm going to, there's going to be lots of cool background stuff in here. I'm going to love this, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't prepared for sort of, um, to identify so much with him.
0: Yeah, you did mention that as you were reading
1: it. You know, which which sounds a little self-aggrandizing because he's, you know, the modern god of rock and roll and I'm but just I do this think that- schlub. But we both live in New Jersey. yeah. yes. Um, yes. So but I also that. think,
0: to be fair, if you ask anyone who their sort of celebrity, whether it's musical or acting or whatever, or even sports icons are... Probably a part of it for all of us is because you identify with them in some way.
1: Yeah. And it's funny, though, because I never felt like I identified with him at all. Really? I just really, I respected his storytelling skills, basically. And I didn't feel like he and I had anything in common. Okay. And from what I knew of his biography, and I'd read several books about him, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, over the years, and of course, listened to all of his music and watched interviews and so on and so forth. I thought, "Oh, we have nothing in common other than the fact that we 're straight white men right um, born in incredibly different times, raised in incredibly different circumstances. We have nothing in common at all other than we like telling stories uh-huh. and then I read this book, and I was like, "Wow, like like I could be this guy like it was really weird for me um you know he has you know th- this he 's got like a history of mental illness in his family there 's a history of that in my family um he's got certain you know psychological issues that I look at and go oh yeah i 've been there, I feel that um, you know the the way he felt about becoming a father and then his own sort of self doubt and self loathing afterwards feeling like he wasn't doing well enough as a father. Mm-hmm. Uh, And this guy's got every conceivable advantage, you know? I mean, he didn't become a father until he was a multimillionaire many times over. Oh, really? And, you know, he – I mean, that's another thing he and I have in common, I guess, is we were both older when we became fathers. But he talks about in the book um, how, you know, since he was like 14 or 15, he had lived a rock lifestyle. Okay. Even before he was successful, like, he had just – he, You know, he would sleep on the beach and he would stay up all night and sleep all day. Just like you. Just like me. Well, but seriously, I mean, like, before we had kids... I'd stay up all night and sleep all day. Yeah, and,
0: you, I mean, I, yes, but I think that's a stretch. You didn't have a rock and roll lifestyle. I didn't
1: have a rock and roll lifestyle. No. You weren't
0: out drinking like he was.
1: He wasn't though. Oh, that's really? another thing. He didn't drink until he was older. Okay. Because his father had trouble with alcohol and he thought he would too. Okay. So he didn't and he never touched drugs for the same reason. So that was all very interesting. Huh. And But he talks about how you know the kids came along and he was still living this life where he was waking up at noon every day. <laughs> you know? And... Finally, and, and he sort of hated himself for not being there during the day. But at the same time, he was like, no, this is who I am. And he says, one day his wife says to him, you're missing out on the best part. Yeah. yeah. You're missing out. They are different in the morning. You're uh-huh. missing out on the best part. He goes, what do I do? And she goes, get your ass up.
0: Yep. So
1: he tells this story. I'll never forget this till my dying day. He wakes up first thing in the morning. He goes downstairs. His wife's down there with the kids. It's morning. He goes, now what? And she's, and this is like like a 45-year-old man, 50-year-old man at this point, right? He goes, now what? And she goes, make the pancakes. And he's like, like he has never cooked oh, anything in his gosh. life, right? He's like, not because he's rich, no, right. but because before yeah. that, you know, he was this poor kid living on the streets, right? And he goes, I don't know how to make pancakes. She's like, figure it out. <laughs> So they had a cook who made stuff for them. So he goes to the guy and he says, how do I make pancakes? And the guy (laughs) gives him the recipe and he tacks the recipe up on the wall and he makes And they're terrible. And he just keeps doing it every day until he gets gets decent at making. He says, you know, I'll never be a great, you know, short order (laughs) cook or anything, but I can make decent pancakes now. And I just I think about that. And then one of the themes of the book and a lot of people, especially feminist critics, have written about this is sort of the way he takes himself to task for sort of these notions of masculinity and what right. it means to be a man and and what it means to be a father and what fatherhood and marriage mean, which makes it perfect fodder for this show because yeah. that's part of what this show is about. Also
0: sort of perfect fodder for the national conversations that are happening right now. Right. Like what what is masculinity and versus toxic masculinity, which right. we see a lot of right now. Um, so that's interesting. I, I really do want to read the book, even <laughs> though I don't have... It's uh, a
1: long book. Yeah, you know,
0: but I don't have this... Um, I mean, obviously I I enjoy Bruce, but I don't have this affinity the way you do, of course, but
1: it just really, it really got to me in that way. And when he talks about a lot of the self doubt he has, uh, as an artist and as a man, Mm -hmm. it really spoke to me. And, and it was, he was on NPR recently and, uh, and he was talking about his depression, which he'd been treated for, for years. And, uh, and they asked him, you know, is it difficult for you to think you know how how Lonely or miserable you are Knowing there are millions of people out there Who see you on stage and go I want to be him mm-hmm. And his response was great Because he said well Yeah I want to be him too uh. And I was like wow Like I That's get cool. that, you yeah. know, like we all want to be the best version of ourselves. We yeah. all want to be the version of ourselves that we that, put out there, uh, that and, we put out yeah. there, and that other people see. And it made me, you know, he said, when you're on stage, or he's he's literally a different person. Yeah. And it and that ironically made me think of of a Warren Zevon line, which is, you're a whole different person when you're scared. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, yeah, the, the, yeah, this book did a lot to me, wow. and I really anybody who who lives at that intersection of the arts and family should read it because Mm -hmm. there's so much in there about he spent so much of his life rejecting family because he was afraid it would make him worse at what he did. Mm -hmm. And I've talked before on the show about, you know, my goal is to be a great writer, not necessarily a great person. Yeah. And so this was really eye-opening for me.
0: I'm glad to hear that it didn't affect your view of him negatively because, you know, there's that sort of old saying of like, Don't look too closely at the celebrities you love.
1: Yeah, because you're going to find flaws. There we go. Thank you.
0: That's that's a much more artful way of saying (laughs) it. Um, Yeah, and I I even try and think of like if Tori Amos wrote a memoir like that's as intense and detailed as Bruce's is personal. Yeah. What? How? I wonder. Like, what would my reaction be? Would I find things in there that I really disliked Or, I I mean, I can't imagine that, but maybe I will. I don't know. So, um, so I'm glad that you didn't.
1: No, I mean if anything it made me admire him even more. Yeah. Um and uh, uh it, it it really it blew me away. He he just he bared himself yeah completely, you know, in this book, which is a really tough thing to do.
0: Tough thing to do and also um not a lot of people do that in their memoirs.
1: Yeah. To be I honest. Mean, usually so. they just want to talk about the good stuff. Right, yeah. You know? He was very honest about his flaws. Yeah. And, and
0: he also wrote this pretty much on no, his
1: he, own. Oh, entirely. Yeah. on his own. Yeah. There this was, was no, not a ghostwriter. There was no ghostwriter. I mean, yeah, you, you, you can't get five pages into this without realizing, Oh, this is all yeah. him. Um, for good and for ill. I mean, there's some places you're like, yeah, okay, dude, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, cool. It's a great book. Everybody should read it. We'll put links in the show notes.
0: And the funny thing too, that I think we should alert our listeners to is that you have successfully brainwashed our daughter
1: into yes.
0: recognizing springsteen yes when he is playing
1: yes well it's funny because you know one day we got in the car and usually when we get in the car she's a chore yeah. but one of the things that changed recently is she's two now we now have a two-year-old we so had a we party for finally
0: her finally able to turn the car seat the around. state of
1: new jersey allows us to turn the car seat around and it's like she's a new kid it is car.
0: life-changing
1: yeah so now when you put her in Which, the car, she doesn't squeal and scream and right. complain. You put her in there and she's fine. And what happened was one day I put her in the car. We were coming we were coming back home from somewhere. And I put her in the car and she just looks up at me and she goes, music. And I'm like, <laughs> like what? Because usually, usually I have to sing yeah. to her to keep her calm in the car. But she goes, music. And I'm like, you want daddy to play music in the car? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like. Okay. Now, and, and I again, said,
0: the only music Barry has is Bruce. That's not true. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> and, but I said to her, how about Bruce? And she goes, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't know. So I played Bruce the whole way home. And I would say to her, who's who's singing? Who is this? She'd go, Bruce, Bruce. And uh, and and it just became a thing where yeah. I would say, like, you know, she, I'd put her in the car and she would go music. And I would say, okay, who do you want to hear? And she would say, Bruce. So I would play <laughs> Bruce.
0: <laughs> We also have some Springsteen coasters that are currently out in the living room. And just tonight, I showed her that yeah. she was playing with them. And I said, oh, that's Bruce. And so now she's running around with the coaster saying, Bruce, Bruce. Yeah, yeah. So, if
1: I can just get her to go, Bruce, uh-huh. then then I will have succeeded <laughs> as a parent. So that's good. So I want to I follow up on something just briefly uh, that came up last time which was we were talking about uh, things about how much we don't like Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And Eugene emailed us, and I I want to make sure to give a Uh, shout-out to Eugene. He had some thoughts on this. One of the things he suggested, I just want to mention this quickly, he suggested Curious George because apparently his kid loves Curious George, and Curious George apparently is not as annoying or as offensive as Mickey Mouse. I saw
0: saw Eugene's comment and immediately cringed because I, I knew what was coming. Yeah,
1: I hate Curious George.
0: Is anyone surprised?
1: I hate Curious Barry George. Barry hates something. Now, first of all, <laughs> first of all, I want to point out that my reasons for hating Curious George go back to childhood. Yes. All right. I read Curious George goes to the hospital, and there was something about that book. There's a scene where he's, like, running away from somebody. The doctors are chasing him, and all the little kids are cheering him on, and they've all got, they're all, like, in their sick bed or they're in a wheelchair Aww. or on crutches. And I got it in my head that hospitals are where you send broken children. Oh, and, and you know, the doctors are these mean people who want to keep them there. So I hate Curious George. <laughs> Ironically, of course, my first, like, five books were published by the publisher of Curious George. But uh, while I was away... Uh, I overheard some authors talking about Curious George, and they were saying how it's this metaphor for slavery, and it's really offensive. Right. That, like, Curious George is taken by this white guy from Africa, but he's happy and everything's fine, yeah, even though he yeah. has to do everything the man in the big yellow hat says. Now I don't know about that. The Rays, like, ran from Nazi Germany and everything. I, I, don't, I don't know about that, but that's, that, that can be the adult reason for hating Curious <laughs> George. I still have deep-seated childhood trauma. That causes me to hate Curious George. But
0: that said, Eugene, we really do appreciate the recommendation. We do appreciate
1: it. You, you couldn't know.
0: Yes. Um, but I do want to talk about Mickey Mouse for a second here. Sure. Because uh, we did just have our daughter's two-year birthday party.
1: And it was a Mickey Mouse extravaganza.
0: It, it really was. And I wanted, to, um, I wanted to talk about it for a minute because, and I posted this on Instagram, if you had asked me at any point in my life... Hey, when your kid is little, are you going to have a Mickey Mouse themed birthday party for them? I would say absolutely not.
1: Hell and no. Uh-huh. Uh
0: huh. I'm not super into Disney. I'm not like anti Disney, but I'm so- certainly not super into Disney, and have never been into Mickey Mouse even personally. Right. I, as a kid, and the funny thing is, is that when you become a parent, like you really do, just want to make your kids happy. Right. And this is what made her happy. Like, she's it, obsessed yes. with Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Yep. So we went all out and had... I mean, we literally had giant Mickeys on the walls so yeah. that she could take photos with them.
1: Well, we should say you went all out. Yes. Because I was gone for the 10 days leading up to the party. Yeah. I literally walked through the door of the house at 11.59 p.m.
0: Literally. The day before The day, day, of, of, before, her the day yeah.
1: of her birthday. Um, and we had the party the next day. So you handled... Everything. I did did nothing for this. You deserve all the credit.
0: Thanks. But it's funny because like we had been at a neighbor's birthday party a a couple of weeks before and it was a cool music theme. Like no Uh, brands. I guess what I'm getting at here is I feel like I'm sort of, I'm succumbing to the commercialization of my daughter's childhood. Yep. But she's so freaking happy that I don't mind doing it.
1: You shouldn't have ever showed her Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. I shouldn't have, yeah. You shouldn't have. But I was
0: so sick of Sesame Street one day yeah. and I was like I got to switch it up. See. And I knew other people who did Clubhouse with their kids. Anyway, it's just this whole it's something I've been thinking about of like the twofold thing one is like it's something i never thought because it's it's a little bit cheesy right like really you got a mickey mouse party for your two-year-old how Uh. how inventive um how not brooklyn of you you know (laughs) um but the second thing is is like now yeah there's mickey mouse stuff everywhere in our house she wears mickey mouse shirts sometimes and it's like i i didn't think that i would do that yeah but again it she lights up
1: And, you know, we could probably steer her away from it to something else, but it would require effort that I think we're not willing to expend at this point. Yeah, accurate. You know, Um, I mean, for example, she likes Superman and Wonder Woman. Right. She likes superheroes, not as much as Mickey. Uh That's partly because we don't expose her to it as much. Um, we could make a concerted effort, We could, but but it's also still a
0: commercialization thing of like, you can buy superhero anything these days. But
1: but, I mean, I don't think you can avoid, we live in a commercial culture. We live in a, we live in a market economy. You can't avoid these things. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that we should, you know, you, you've always said that, you know, you want her to grow up.
0: With and, a shared culture. With, with a shared culture. Yeah. And, of her peers. Yeah. Yes. And this guess is what? what? Is That's
1: like. commercial. Yeah. I mean, you know, her peers are not going to be interested in, in things that aren't commercial. Right. By definition. Yeah. So. I don't
0: know. It's interesting just figuring out that balance between. Yeah. I don't know. Between being a, I don't know, a good parent and a, and one who just surrenders to the lore of Disney.
1: Yeah. <laughs> They're true.
0: not mutually exclusive. I know That's that. True. It's just,
1: it's funny. So let's talk about writing, because that, that's what people are paying their money for.
0: God, do we have to?
1: That's what people are paying their money for. <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell you, I monetized. You this. did. Oh,
0: that's I'm glad to know. Yeah, actually. yeah. I've
1: been just Dying. funneling it off into my little slush fund. Yeah, listen,
0: we got another baby coming. We gotta take it where uh, we can get it.
1: I know. So how's it going? Who, me? Yeah, you. Oh,
0: okay. Um it's not, is the short answer. You know, I wanna at the risk of sounding like I'm giving excuses, I do have some valid excuses. You're
1: pregnant as hell.
0: I'm pregnant as hell. And also you're like
1: super pregnant.
0: I'm short staffed at work.
1: It's like your 15th month.
0: <laughs> no, but seriously, I'm short staffed at work yeah. and work has been absolutely crazy for like, what? Six weeks now, five or six weeks. Yeah. Um, there is an end in sight because I have someone new joining me in a couple of weeks, but until then it's just, it's seriously madness. Like I, I mean, look at my Twitter feed. There are days where I don't tweet at all because I'm Which, so busy That's like a day without sunshine. I know. So anyway, so I, I truly, I, I'm so busy and tired at work. And then I come home. Um, it's the rush, you know, the end of day parenting rush that everyone knows about where yep. you, you got to bathe and feed your kid and then put her to bed. Um, and then we eat dinner. And then next thing I know, like literally then it's 9 p.m. Yeah. And I, I just have zero gas left in my tank. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking about, uh, at work, one of the things that I've, I've been taking on since my since I'm short-staffed is producing our podcast. And I was just listening to the author, uh, M.G. Leonard, uh, who wrote Beetle Boy, which is a very cute middle-grade book. Actually, it was just named Publishers Weekly uh, Best of the Year. And she talks in her interview on our podcast for Scholastic about how – because she works a full-time day job as well – And how it took her a while to realize that she can't save her writing for the end of the day because that's the scraps of her energy and her clarity. So she has to do it first thing in the morning before she goes to work. Right. And like, I know that. I know that logically. Right. I know that I could probably wake up at six every morning and write for 45 minutes. And actually make some progress, rather than saying to myself, "No, I'll do it tonight when I get home at nine thirty p.m." Like it it just doesn't happen. I know that. But also, yes, I'm pregnant, and we have a two year old, and I work full time, and I, I, I'm just out of out of it all, really. And I don't want this to sound like a pity party. Like I'm, you know, the other thing I've been thinking a lot is, I still just keep circling around this idea of, am I writing the right thing? is this the right project I should be working because on? You've
1: made some progress. On I did. This, I made this some new progress. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were, there was a, a, a couple of weeks there where you were really I was cranking working on pretty, it. Yeah. Pretty
0: consistently yeah. for a couple of weeks straight, made some good progress. And it's still obviously like, I still want to go do it. Right. Um, again, it's just, the month of October has been a wash, a total wash. Yeah. So that's my saga. And,
1: and I didn't help cause I wasn't here well, for a big chunk of the month and you were on your own.
0: Right. So. Which is fine. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess there's a light at the end of the tunnel is what I'm, yeah. I'm hoping for.
1: And what we've learned from this is that if I'm going to be away for more than a couple of days at a stretch, we really need to have somebody here yeah, to help yeah. you out. Yeah. Um, you know, we thought, because I wasn't gone 10 days in a row, it was two days, then I was home for like half a day, and then I was gone for a few more days, and then I was here for one day. Which and was, was
0: almost in a way worse. It
1: was, I, I was about to say, <laughs> I think that was almost worse. It lulled us into thinking that you would be okay right, on and your also, own. Right,
0: I mean, part of the issue is the scheduling, like, okay, well, Barry's flight is at seven. So I have to get home at four. You know what I mean? It was this whole thing. Whereas if you had just been gone, then uh, that's my answer. Like I know where I need to be when, but, um, yeah, it's just been a, it's just been a a hectic month, which is fine. Like that is the life of someone who works full time and has one and a half kids and is trying to be a writer. Yeah. Yeah. So, But you, meanwhile, have made really good progress.
1: I've, I've, made, I've made considerable progress, not necessarily in the actual act of writing, but in terms of forward momentum, figuring out what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave my agent uh, a while back two different projects that I had written some of and said to her, tell me what you think of these. I was leaning towards one of them. <laughs> I already knew that. It scared me because it's something completely new for me Uh and it's very, it's long and involved. Right. The other one I did not feel as strongly about, but it would have been shorter and I've done this kind of book before Uh and I could have done it quickly. Yeah. And I gave these two projects to her and she said, you got to do the one. Yeah. The the, the one I was leaning towards. The first one. And I was like, yep, you're right. I know. Uh I just, I needed to hear you say it. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I know that now and I'm, I'm working on that and, uh, and, and that's, it's going well, but.
0: And we, we talked about it too, about that decision and it's actually sort of harkens back to things we've said earlier on the podcast, which is, it, it really also boils down to what is your, um, what do you need right now in your life? Right. And, Like if money were tight and you needed an immediate sale, like that's a different story. Sure. Or if X was happening and you needed Y, you know what I mean? So I I just want to make sure for the the writers out there, like sometimes there are very valid reasons for choosing something that um, maybe you don't feel super strongly about. But you can do it and it's achievable and you need to do it. You yeah, know? we've
1: talked about that before. I mean, I, I, you know, the trick there is always the uh, this idea of the guaranteed sale. Of course. You know, yeah. oh, if I, I can write this quickly and I'll definitely sell, sell it, yeah. you might be surprised. Right. You might write it quickly, but you might not sell it right yeah. away. And sometimes you might not even write it quickly. It uh-huh. might take longer than you think. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I feel good because now I have clarity. I know what I'm doing. I'm still worried because it's going to be a long, complicated process. And I would prefer to have something done more quickly. But you know what? This, this is what, this is what I'm going to write. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. I'm happy about it. I can't wait to do it. Um, so that's good. And, uh, and there's some other stuff going on writing wise that it's premature to talk about, but I'm pretty excited about it. If, if some of this stuff pans out, Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be cool. So stay tuned. Hopefully there will be more news later.
0: Cryptic, but cool.
1: Uh, Well, you know, (laughs) so that is it for us this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being back and thank (laughs) you. Keep sending those checks. Remember, make them out to me, Barry Liga. Do not include Morgan's name on them. And uh, please visit us online at writingreallife.com. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. And subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a rating. And we will see you again next week. We will be back. We
0: promise. We're going
1: to do two weeks in a row if it kills us. <laughs> we'll see you all then. Bye. Bye.